Welcome to the Fan Experience, a Phoenix Rising supporters podcast. Stick around for interviews, analysis, fan stories, and our love affair with Phoenix Rising. And now to kick things off is your host, Niall McCarthy. Phoenix Rising family, we've got a great show lined up for you today. Week 19 in the USL Championship saw our boys Phoenix Rising resting it up. No games, a bye week. I use that time to look ahead to our next games where we play Louisville City FC on Wednesday, July 20th and Sacramento Republic on Saturday, July 23rd. I've got previews of both games and I'm joined by special guest Connor Sutton from Sacramento Republic who's here to talk about his team as a preview to that game. We've also got John Morrissey, he's at USL Tactics on Twitter, he's bringing us his weekly segment with news and results from around the league that matter to Phoenix Rising fans. But first, since I had extra time on my hands this week, I decided to dig around in the dirt to see if there were any interesting takeaways from the stats that we've been collecting on the season to date. I found a ton of interesting things that we don't particularly notice on a week-by-week basis about our team, especially when compared to the rest of the league. I looked at things that indicate our style of play. I looked at how we're performing in attack and defense and found a ton of surprises, not just about our team in general, but I also drilled down and found super interesting things about individual players. I looked at how we do when we're on attack, when we're on defense, and I looked at discipline. We all know that we've got a ton of red cards. Are we the dirtiest team in the league? Stick around and find out. Please share this podcast with a friend, like and retweet us on social media, and we'd really appreciate it if you'd give us a five-star rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you in advance. Okay, here's the plan. First, we'll run through the numbers and the interesting things about Phoenix Rising. Then we'll preview the Sacramento Republic game and hear from Connor Sutton, who comes to us from Sacramento Republic. Then we'll hear from John Morrissey with the news and results from week 19 that matter to Phoenix Rising fans. And we're gonna close out with a preview of the midweek game against Loose City. Please enjoy. This is Rick Shantz, the head coach of Phoenix Rising, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family, the last time that Phoenix played a game, it was in week 18, and we thought this would be a good time to look at the stats to see what they tell us about the players on the team and about the team in general and how it compares to the rest of the league. So we didn't have a game in week 19. Lots of other teams did. Kelly McCarthy is joining me today to talk us through this. So Kelly, after week 19, going into week 20, who are the top three teams in the West? Phoenix Rising. <laughs> Wouldn't we love it? <laughs> exactly. Once upon a time. So in the Western Conference right now, the top team, which has been for a while, is San Antonio FC with 43 points after 18 matches. Second is Colorado Springs Switchbacks FC. They have 39 points after 19 matches. And the third is San Diego Loyal training by trailing by five points with 34 points after 19 matches. So again, the top team there is San Antonio and they have a game in hand. Gotcha. And we have played 18 games and we have 22 points. So where does that put us in the standings? 11th out of 13. Gotcha. How about over in the East? Who's top of the East right now? Sure. So we've got Loose City, 
and they have 42 points after 19 matches, followed by Tampa Bay Rowdies. I'm pausing for you to boo. Ah, boo. <laughs> With 39 points after 20 matches. And then third recent opponent for Phoenix Rising is Memphis 901. They have 38 points in 19 matches. Okay, so with our 22 points, where would that put us in the Eastern Conference? That would put us right around eighth. So uh, FC Tulsa is an eighth. They also have 22. So I'd have to look at some of those tie-breaking things, but let's just say it would put us around eighth place, either eighth or ninth. And so we'd be doing better in the East, and that's significant because it's closer to the playoff line. Right. So if we were in the Eastern Conference, we would be just outside the playoff line, whereas in the Western Conference, we're kind of well outside yeah. the, the playoff um, line at this point. Okay, so let's move on. Let's talk about some positives. Phoenix Rising have had seven wins, 10 losses, one draw. That makes up the 22 points. With all of that, we've had 29 goals. That puts us 11th out of the 27th teams, 27 teams in terms of the number of goals scored. Kelly, who do you think has scored the most goals at the halfway point in the season that we're saying is week 18? I mean, I would just sort of assume that we're looking at some of those teams that are at the top of the standings. So I'm thinking San Antonio, Louisville, and I'll say San Diego. Yeah, well, interestingly, San Antonio are not there, but Louisville, they are there. They're there. They're the leader after week 18 with 39 goals. El Paso. 38 goals and San Diego loyal 37 goals. So 29 goals. You're kind of disappointed with that as a team. We are number one for shots. We've had 313 shots and El Paso has 305 shots. And I just want to say that although El Paso are not in the, the top three in the conference, they do come up again and again and again in terms of, you know, in the, the top three, best of number of shots, best defense, and so on, as you'll see as we go through this. So with Phoenix, um, we have scored 29 goals. Unfortunately, we've conceded more goals than that. We've conceded 39 goals. That puts us in joint third place. So number one team that's conceded the most goals in the USL is an Eastern Conference team. Kelly, I don't expect you to know this, but do you want to have a guess? I'll give you I'll give you a hint. It's one of the two teams. Let's say Loudon. It's actually Atlanta United. They've conceded 39 goals. I'm sorry, 49 goals. That's 10 more than our 39. Number two are Charleston Battery. And then, as I mentioned, we're in joint third place. So Phoenix has conceded 39 goals. So have FC Tulsa. And so have the Baby Bulls, Red Bulls, too. Yeah. Now, hang on a second. Sure. Okay. Sorry. I'm very much stuck in the last statistic. So... I mean, generally speaking, I like to think that the number of goals that you score has a relationship with the number of shots that you're taking. But you're telling me that Phoenix has taken the most shots in the league. So number one out of 27, but we're number 11 in terms of goals scored. Is that correct? That's right. So our our shots have either been blocked, saved gone wide, gone over. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. 
they're not being converted into goals. That's right. crazy to me. Like I can understand there's going to be variability. You know, when you look at the teams that are taking the most shots and you look at the teams that are scoring the most goals, it's not going to line up perfectly. I get that for various reasons, but this is a big disparity. We are taking a lot of shots. That is the Phoenix brand, mm -hmm. but they are really not converting. And I mean, we know this week in, week out, we talk about this. Um, but that's very statistically clear. I mean, yeah. to be that high in shots. And I just want um, to say that it actually does line up for El Paso. They're number two in shots and they're number two in goals. But they're not in the top three in right. terms of the standings. So right. that's really interesting. I mean, that just tells us they have defensive issues, I would right. imagine. Yeah. We have defensive issues. You you already got to conceding goals. You had moved on. Forgive me for bringing us back. So we'll talk about that. But we also have massive conversion issues. And I just want to underscore that. That's crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. For sure. So we will drill down. We're right now, just to frame this, we're kind of looking at the team and team stats, but we're going to drill down and we're going to talk about who's actually taking shots and who's being successful in taking shots when, okay. when we kind of get to a part two. So just before we're, we, we get there, looking at um, discipline, who do you think has the most yellows in the league? And I will tell you, it's not Phoenix Rising. As of week 18, we have 45 yellows. And maybe just let's put it like this. Do you think that's a lot? Do you think that, that out of 18 games, getting 45 yellows is a lot? Do you think that puts us like in the top three or is that towards the bottom? I would say that we're probably middle of the road just because I feel like we're middle of the road when I'm watching games i don't feel like we get an excessive number of yellow cards i've got Absolutely. nothing really to base that on you said 45 yeah. yellows yeah and that is okay. right middle of the road number one in yellow cards is el paso and i mentioned that they come up again and again and again but el paso have 62 yellow cards oh. number yeah yeah um so then moving on let's look at red cards how about red cards we have five red cards, and I'll just tell you that that is a lot. Only one team has more. That's Red Bulls, too. They've got six reds. So we have five reds. Also, Monterey Bay, San Diego Loyal, Atlanta United, oh. too, and FC Tulsa all have five reds. Wow. So there's an interesting mix there. I mean... When you talk about, again, El Paso is sort of an enigma to me, because if you talk about them having uh, a huge number of yellows, I would typically say that's going to be a team that's struggling, but they're not struggling. They're not necessarily on top, but they're not struggling. So they, they sound like an outlier, but I don't have enough statistics to know. But when you talk about the Reds, generally speaking, that list you just gave me, will you repeat the list that, that also has five with us? Yeah, Monterey, San Diego, Atlanta, and Tulsa. Okay. So I hate to say it, but that's mostly a list of teams that are doing badly except for San Diego. So that's mm -hmm. kind of curious, but yeah, I'm, I'm interested, you know, when we talk about statistics, you always want more statistics. Like you're telling us the top, I want to know the bottom, you know, it's, it's such a curious thing, but another statistic I'd like to know is just how Phoenix typically does, you know, over the last couple of years, how many reds we've had, because this does feel like a lot for Phoenix. This is not, you know, I remember in past years getting really upset over one, and now to be sitting here halfway through the season with five feels pretty extensive. 
Oh yeah. I remember a lot of our reds, a lot of, uh, yeah. Like actually remember the reds, each one. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, you know, you mentioned on the other side, teams that have a few number of reds while there are actually two teams that don't have any reds at all. As of week 18, Miami and Detroit had not picked Ooh. up a red so far. That's kind of interesting. So, you know, Detroit, they kind of put themselves out there as being like a scrappy team, but they're kind of keeping it clean when it comes to the red cards. Oh, wow. Good for them. In terms of discipline, something else that I thought was, was pretty interesting is that we actually draw more fouls than any other team. So... You might think that Phoenix having a lot of reds that, oh, we play dirty. Truth is we don't because we draw more fouls than any other team. That's kind of wild. That's extremely wild. But to know if we play dirty, I want to know how many fouls we commit, where we where we are on that list. I can tell I mean, but, you. I mean, I want to tell you, I'm speechless. I'm stunned that we draw the most fouls. I really am curious what that says and what that means. I mean, to me, not having time to think about this, that just feels like despite our poor form this year, we're still a team that other teams are concerned about. You right. know, they're going to be playing against us really rough, really aggressively. Maybe it just means our style is aggressive. But again, that would be sort of borne out by this idea of how many fouls we actually commit. Yeah, we actually play really clean. We have committed and I'm going to say only 199 fouls and only one team has committed fewer fouls. What? One of our rivals, a Western Conference team. Who do you think, Kelly, plays pretty clean out there? Oh, no one, <laughs> which is why we must scream and beat them down at all times. <laughs> I'm just going to take a wild guess. You're saying it's a rival of Phoenix. I'll go with San Diego simply because I think they like to think they're the cleanest team out there. <laughs> they're not. It's actually the lights, Las Vegas lights. Oh. Yeah, we had 199 fouls. They had 163. So good job to them for keeping it clean. Who's the team with the most fouls? The most fouls in the league also happens to be one of our rivals here in the Western Conference. Who plays dirty, Kelly? Really? Uh, just out of pure OC hate, let's go with Orange County. You got that right. So to Phoenix's <laughs> 199, they have committed 302 fouls. So oh. it's official. They're the dirtiest team in the league. Now we have statistics to back it up. <laughs> That's really interesting. And I don't have, again, not, I, I don't have anything to base this on, but I would be curious if you looked at this to look at kind of average size. I wonder if teams with larger players either commit more fouls or get called for more. The reason I say that is I, I kind of picture Orange County being kind of a bigger, taller team. And I picture Las Vegas being sort of a smaller team. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's, yeah. We could look into I don't that. have enough data points for that, but, <laughs> but that's really shocking. I mean, for us to be middle of the road in yellows, mm -hmm. high in reds, but low in fouls. I mean, you just need to think about that a minute. Those reds often feel like an individual failure. And this kind of supports that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the team overall is playing clean, but you've got this high number of reds. That to me says desperation. You know, yeah. you commit a red when you're down, you're frustrated, you're desperate. Um, right. But overall, here's the style of play of the team. Anyway, right. Right. food for thought. 
So moving on, there's one stat that we're not proud of at all. We lead the team in own, we lead, sorry, the league in own goals. We have three own goals and we're the only team to have three own goals. So that that's, that's unfortunate. I looked into some stats that indicate how we play. And I found that crosses that we're really high on crosses. In fact, we're second in the league when it comes to crosses. We have 398 crosses as of week 18. RGV Toros have more than us, a few more than us, with 440. So this is very indicative of how a team plays crossing into the box. I remember towards the end of last year, you, Kelly, were talking about how we don't do it enough. So maybe somebody was listening and said, we need more crosses into the box. (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. But we were doing a lot better last year, so I should have shut my mouth. (laughs) And I mean, you know, again, these data points alone, sorry, I'm not complaining about what you're delivering here. That's fantastic. But it does leave you with more questions than answers. For example, we know RGV, excuse me, I'm no longer looking at the standings, but they're not doing well. I think they're somewhere near Phoenix in the Western division in terms of the standings. So is this indicative of style of play or is are these teams that are desperate, that are just switching the field? Across to me isn't necessarily across into the box, right? It could just be switching fields, looking for someone open, looking for better options than you feel you have. So I'd be sort of curious what this means. Really? And, and just looking at more teams, you know, what teams has, have the fewest and where they are in the standings. But alone, yeah. it's just interesting. I, I think that... It, it would correlate with being good on the standings. I, we're doing well in the Crosses? standings. I've, yeah, I feel like this, that we're an outlier. I bet if you looked at Premier League teams, I bet the ones with the highest number of crosses are up there in, in the, the top three or, or the top well, four. I but anyway, I don't I have agree. the data to back that up. I didn't yeah. look that deep. So that's just, that's interesting. I mean, it does tell us about how we play. Or it tells us about how we're doing. And I would disagree with you only in the sense that if you look at successful crosses, which is something we often look at week in, week out, we see those numbers are usually very low. You know, it's kind of like shots on target. You Teams tend to be less than 40% successful crosses, which to me means you're giving up possession. Potentially, you're risking giving up possession. So I'd just be curious, do you have like possession numbers to look at? I mean, I know we're not. Okay. I do. So let's say um, 50% possession would be right in the middle. Where do you think that we stand? Do you think that we have more than 50% possession? And this is in general over our 18 games, or do we have less than 50% possession? So this is how Phoenix plays. It's not compared to other teams. We're not putting ourselves in a scale. Okay. Um, I, I'd say in most years we're around 60, we're above 60 and around 60. That's just a guess. I haven't parsed numbers in most years, but this year I have had the opportunity to look at our statistics after each game. And I'd say we've been playing with less. We're probably around 40%, which is not where we want to be. Yeah. We're not that low. I feel like we haven't, we weren't up at 60% in previous seasons. That okay. would be another another interesting one to look yeah. at. But this season, we're at 46% possession. On average per game. On average per game. Okay. So mm. is 
is possession an indicator of success? We we look at this when, when we do our monthly roundup with Dom and he's been surprised after every month, he's looked at the, the stats and said that we've been below 50% and been surprised with that. And just it, 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 it tells a story, but then he went on to talk about in, in one roundup of that, you look at Leicester City who um, won the Premier League a few years ago and their possession was really low. Well, one of the top teams in the league, um, San Antonio, they and actually are they the top team? They are the top team with 43 points. They're also the team with the least possession. 43 points, Ooh. 43% possession, believe it or not. Oh. Yeah. Looking at the other end, teams with high possession, El Paso, 62%, Louisville, 56%, San Diego Loyal, 55%. And these are teams that also we talked about are scoring a lot of goals. So, you know, El Paso with 62% possession, they've scored 38 goals. Louisville, 56% possession, have scored 39 goals. And San Diego Loyal, 55% possession with 37 goals. So maybe the outlier here is San Antonio, that they've got the lowest possession rates but also they're the most successful. Hard to draw a hard conclusion from this, Kelly. Yeah. No, it is. Did you say where we are in terms of goals conceded in the league? We have conceded 39 goals and that puts us in joint third place. Oh, right. I wrote yeah. this down. Okay. With Tulsa and the Baby Bulls. Right. Worse than us is Charleston. Worse right. than them is Atlanta United too. Right. Wow. That is a sad list to be part of. <laughs> totally is. Totally is. Okay, let's drill down and get to part two of this discussion, where instead of looking at the teams, we look at individuals. So on the Phoenix Rising roster, we've had 18 games. Who has had the most starts, Kelly, for Phoenix Rising? Well, are we including goalkeeper? We're including everybody. <laughs> okay, then I would go with Benjamin Lunt. You'd be right. Out of a potential 18 starts, he's had 17. I thought 17. that was interesting. Why not 18? Oh. So Delgado started one time. Do you remember yep. that? Yes, game, Kelly? yes, yeah. I do. Um, barely. But, you know, just sitting here thinking, why the heck wouldn't he have started? And all of a sudden I was flooded and got hot and sweaty and unhappy. <laughs> and I remembered, would it have been the New Mexico match? The COVID yeah. Yeah. Outbreak. Okay. That's exactly right. It's the, the game that every Phoenix fan is trying to forget, <laughs> but it's the, the most celebrated game for New Mexico United. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> That's how they have to beat us. It's what it takes. Exactly. So, no yeah. Delgado. <laughs> ben Lunt has 17 starts. Joey Farrell has 16. And then Hurst, Quinn, and King have 15 each. So looking at the number wow. of goals scored, we've got 29 goals scored. Who is doing the scoring? So Kelly, what's your feel? Who are our top goal scorers? Well, actually, this is the one time yet I'm not guessing. I think I know. We've talked about the statistic other people have. Hurst and Sejas, if I'm not mistaken, at one point they were tied with five. Is that still current? That's still the case. 
Aiden Quinn has four, Kev Lambert has three, and then Marcus Epps, um, Claudia Rapetto, and Richie Antwi, they have two each. And then we've got four players that have scored one goal each, Santi Moore, Arturo Rodriguez, Manuel oh, Madrid, wow. and James Musa. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> oh, these statistics aren't great either. Sure, sure. A huge surprise to see that Santi Moore is has just one goal. Yeah. Um, you know, after 18 matches, he has just been such a stud in previous seasons. You wouldn't be surprised if he would have 10 goals on the season so far. Oh, it's not only that you wouldn't be surprised, you'd kind of expect it. Two yeah. things come to mind. One is last season, he started off so strong. He had our first six matches he had six goals total yeah. you know yeah. he'd won a game so that's hard to expect from someone but you do expect one of your key strikers of course he was injured but still that many more than one goal something else i think about we did a segment on the off season about former players and we talked about junior flemings mm-hmm. and this was stunning so it kind of represents a season where the opposite is true but I remember in his first season with the team, he had something like 15 goals and he was the third leading goal scorer on our team, on our team with 15. Yeah. Now that's crazy. I mean, I think Adam John had more with 16 and then Solomon Asante had like 19 or something crazy. Now, granted, we're halfway through the season, but clearly none of these players are going to pick up those kind of numbers with the remainder of the season. You don't think? No, I mean, if you look at our best goal scorer having five. Yeah. That's going to be rough. Yeah, things we'd need to change a lot. Earlier on, Kelly, we talked about the number of shots taken, that Phoenix are number one with 313 shots, El Paso number two with 305 shots. I thought it was interesting to note that we outnumber our opponents. And when I'm talking about our opponents, I'm not talking about every team in the league. I'm talking about the teams that we have played. We've outnumbered them in shots three to two. Thought that was interesting. Wow. So we take a lot I mean, more shots. Right. It's interesting. In once you've provided me with that statistic that we're the most shots in the league. Now I under I get it. I understand that. I'm not stunned by that. We're taking more shots, but I am still stunned we aren't anywhere near the top when it comes to goals. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you know who our top shot taker is, our top shooter. Um, top shooter. No, I mean, I kind of want to say Santi Moir, yeah. but with one goal. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's Santi Moir has, has had 40 shots. Aiden Quinn is next up with 32 okay. shots. And then our striker, Greg Hurst has had 30 shots. Wow. So, yeah. So they're, they're the ones that are taking the shots. Um, not necessarily lining up with shots on target. Uh, Hurst third for the number of shots, but he's actually first with shots on target. 43% of his shots are on target. So if, if you're a goalkeeper and you see Greg Hurst with the ball, watch out because when he takes a shot, he's got a really high probability of shooting on target. Joey Cleestry is second with 36%. And Santi Moore is actually in third place, still with a good number of uh, percentage of shots on target with 30%. Jeez. 
Wow, this is so interesting. First of all, Greg Hurst, take more shots. I'm not sure it works that way. Maybe the fact that he's discriminating <laughs> is why his numbers are so good or discerning. But um, I'm surprised to hear about Kalistri. That's just interesting since he wasn't in the top in terms of um, in terms shots of goals taken. scored, yeah. you know, right. yeah, or even shots taken. So it's just that percentage. Um, but something else struck me as interesting in there. What could it have been? Oh, yeah, Santi Moore is up in terms of goals on target. Yeah. But again, so, I mean, he's taking a lot of shots. He's getting quite a few on target. They're just not going in. So I guess all we can conclude is he's cursed. <laughs> that could well be it. That could well be it. I thought it would be fun to take a look at our fullbacks as well to see how many shots they're taking. Mm, okay. um, so you, Babakar Jai is usually lining up on the left side, Darnell King on the right side, and they kind of have an equal number of shots. Babu has 13 shots. Darnell has 12 shots. Of those, Babakar has six shots on target. That's a phenomenal 46%. Darnell King has just one shot on target, and that's an 8.3%. So that's interesting in, its, in mm. and of itself. But if you Very. take a look at who, who the other uh, fullback, Ryan Flood, so he has had a fraction of starts compared to Jay and King, yet he's had seven shots, which is really good, and one on target, putting him at 14%. So oh, wow. kudos to, to Ryan Flood for that. Yep. So then looking at the number of goals conceded, we had 39 goals conceded. However, it could be argued that we have the best goalkeeper in the league. Ben Lund comes in with 57 saves. That's the most in the entire league. He has three clean sheets. And to put that in perspective, Evan Newton with El Paso, I mentioned that El Paso comes up again and again. He is in number, the number two spot with one less save, 56 saves, but he has a phenomenal eight clean sheets. So, you know, you're looking at 18 games played, eight clean sheets. That's pretty fantastic. So well impressed with that. Well, it goes to show Phoenix's problem. I mean, I think those statistics right there alone are very interesting. When you've got a goalkeeper who's coming up so huge and has such an incredible number of saves, but you have so few clean sheets, it shows your defense is lacking. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's what I'm, that's, you know, for for the, the next most saves to be a goalkeeper that has such a tremendous number of clean sheets, that tells a very different story. Yeah, for sure. And when you look at, at defense, what makes for good defense? Well, I took a look at, at tackles and specifically tackles one. So who do you think is the best tackler in our, on our team? Um, I'm going to go with Kevin Lambert. Yeah, that's a good guess. And I, I think I could see why, why you would say that. We often see him getting into tackles and coming out with the ball. But Somehow. <laughs> yeah, he's number two. Number one is Joey Farrell with 15. Lambert is in second place with 12. 
And by the way, that's way more than our other centre backs. If you look at James Musa, Manuel Madrid, they are way down there in terms of successful tackles. Even Sievert Hogley, who has had very few appearances, he's had more successful tackles than Musa or Madrid. Now, Madrid doesn't surprise me because he doesn't have a lot of minutes. But when we talk about significantly less what are the numbers there? So Farrell, you said has what, 15? Yeah. Or is that his, the number he wears on his jersey? <laughs> He's um, had 15. So significantly less would be less than five. Oh, wow. Yeah. For Musa? And Madrid and Haugli has seven. Oh, wow. That's curious. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure what conclusions you can come to about that. Okay. Um, Looking again at our full backs, because obviously they have uh, defensive responsibilities, pretty amazing, even more successful than what we mentioned from, from those guys already. And, and by the way, I, am, I really should have asked of people who have had center back responsibilities, who would have been the best and it would have been Farrell and it would have been Lambert. But our fullbacks do even better when it comes to tackles. Okay. Babakar okay. Jai is actually number one with 19 successful tackles. And Darnell King is right there as well with 18 successful tackles. And Flood, he has 11, which also is really high, especially, I'm going to say it again, given that he ha has not had the number of starts that the other two have had. Wow. That's interesting. You know, I don't know if I'm thinking about this in the wrong way, but you would expect the left and the right side, if you will, forgive me, to have a similar number of yeah. tackles. Yeah. And they do, except they kind of don't, because in my mind, I'm adding Flood and Jai together. And you've got something like 30 tackles between them exactly. compared yeah. to King on the other side of 18. Yeah. Now I wrote these people in order on my notebook here. This is not how John Morrissey works. <laughs> um, but it's very curious when you look at King having significantly less than the two giant flood. Right. Right. But then you look, you we talked about those center backs with Farrell and Lambert being having a lot of tackles, right. they play next to King. If you look at Musa having so few, he plays next to either Jai or Flood. So I'm just wondering, and I'm not going to sit here and do fast math, but if you add those together, are the two sides, you know, is there a disparity of work happening between either the outside back on one side and the center back? I don't know if it works that way, but do you know what I'm saying? I really like it. I really like it. Another thing that you could you could look at is are the majority of attacks from our opponents coming down their right side? That would be our left side, mm -hmm. picking out Jai and King as a potential weakness. Jai and Flood. Sorry, Jai and Flood as right, potential right. on the left side. Yeah. That certainly would account for that outside back high tackle number. Yeah. But it yeah. wouldn't account for that center back pairing low number. Anyway, for another day. That's You're very astute. Very astute. <laughs> the boy is quite astute. I'm trying to kill him. <laughs> Kelly, when it comes to discipline, who has the most fouls on our team? All right. Fun. Let's say Aiden Quinn. 
Why? Okay, well, he, he sprang to mind immediately for two reasons. One, he spends a ton of time on the ball. So I just feel like you have the opportunity to, oops, accidentally foul. Um, or, you know, he's involved in play a lot. Or yes. two, uh, we had heard that he had the most yellows in the entire league as of last season. So I'm just imagining that he's committing fouls left and right. <laughs> he's number Quinn. <laughs> Aiden Quinn is number two with 19 fouls so far this season. Darnell King has 20. And so that puts him as number one. And then number three is Joey Farrell with 16 fouls. Ooh. Now, super interesting. Let's take a look at fouls drawn. So who draws the most fouls on our team? I'm going to go with either again, Quinn, for the same logic. You know, he's probably pissing some people off if he's out there fouling. Additionally, he's just around the ball and on the ball a lot. Kudos. I see you. And then I'm also going to go with Lambert just because, especially with that sort of defensive defensive midfield role that he often plays in, um, again, just involvement in play. Yeah, good. Really good again with with Quinn. And he is in second place. So number one for fouls drawn is Arturo Rodriguez. And actually, it's a lot. He's drawn 24 fouls. Quinn, 15. Joey Calistri, 12. (gasps) Why do you think Arturo Rodriguez has drawn so many fouls? Well, I think that's insane, given how few appearances he has to be that far ahead of the pack. Yeah. You know, the only there's two things again that come to mind. The the first is better in that if if you're a threat, people might foul you more often. So, for example, if you do a lot of dribbling, you're moving frequently with the ball, you look like you're creating chances or you do create chances. Maybe that makes you more of a target. But the second thing is. We had a guest on the show last season who talked about, he made the comment, uh, Rodriguez needs to bulk up. He's too small. He's getting bullied. He's getting thrown around. So that's the other thing that comes to mind, you know, is just sort of his stature. And I remember when we had Rick Schantz in the podcast in the off season, shining glory moment, um, he talked about Rodriguez sort of spending some time in the gym over the off season and wanting to build his size. So maybe right. it didn't work if these are statistics from this season. I, I'm going with your first guess. When Rodriguez gets the ball, he moves forward with the ball and he moves fast and yeah. he is threatening to the opposition and they need to stop him. And often it means that they have to foul him to stop yeah. him. I'd like to comment again. <laughs> yeah. More than one comment. Sorry. Yeah. I don't disagree. And it may be some combination of both. You know, and it would be really interesting to look at a player who's smaller, but really impactful, you know, just to kind of see where they stand in this. And, you know, something that comes to mind, if you picture our last, I think it was our last match and you picture Sejas, that starting whistle. Do you remember what happened? <laughs> I do. He just immediately fouled um, their striker. Threw someone to the ground. Yeah. And I had commented on this. I watch him off the ball a lot and he often is sort of throwing people around. And I had commented or my thought process is he's not that tall. He's not that bulky. And I feel like he really early and often throws his weight around as a means of telling people like, 
I'm not going to be pushed around. And so I just wonder as a more experienced player, if this is something that he does, I'm not trying to justify any violence, but if that's something that he does just to kind of say like, I hold my own. Yeah, for sure. And we know that Wayne Rooney did exactly the same thing. And Wayne is not a small guy. (laughs) Moving on. um, That makes you a bully. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. Let's talk about something. Let's refer back to something that we talked about on a team level that we have a huge number of crosses. So who is making those crosses? Aiden Quinn is by far the most prolific. He's got 106 crosses. And then after that, it's who you'd expect. Our wingers, Santi Moore with 51, Marcus Epps with 41. And then after that, looking at our fullbacks, you've got King, a lot of crosses, 33, Flood, a lot of crosses as well, 32, and Babakar Jai, only 21. So why does Flood outnumber Jai with the number of crosses? Again, Flood's got 32 crosses, almost the same number as Darnell King, not as many appearances. Babakar Jai, a lot more appearances, but only 21 crosses. Does that tell you anything about the style of play? Yeah, that does actually uh, ring some bells for me here. So. Babakar Jai, in my mind, he's really good on the ball, really good on the dribble. Um, known for that, that's one of the skills and talents that he brings to the team. And he's also great with combination play. We see, especially as we move towards the latter half of the season, a lot of effective combination play down that side with Santi Moar. So that kind of comes to mind. What about you, Niall? I really like it. I really like it. That The other that... thing, though, that pops in my head, sorry, is also, you know, we hear a lot about Ryan Flood and his, like, big left foot. And so I just wonder if he's also utilizing his skills. You know, he's he might be even more sort of skillful with his left foot. And so his crosses are going to be more accurate. I yeah. mean, we'd have to look at crossing accuracy, but that just might be where he's more comfortable, where he's more skilled. Yeah. And I think that what we're talking about is interesting, but I think it will help us to understand the players better and it will just add more color um, and enjoyment to our game as, as we, you know, watch, well, who's taking more crosses now? Yeah. Yeah. In terms of interceptions, we talked about defense earlier. Um, Farrell has Leeds with 30 interceptions, Kev Lambert has 29, Joey Calistri has 15, and interestingly, Flood and Jai have an equal number of interceptions. That's 12 each compared to Darnell King, who's got 11. So that might tell us again that teams are targeting that left flank, uh, targeting Flood and targeting Jai for their attack. Maybe, but you've got Farrell and Lambert high on that list. So again, you've got your outside back on the left doing these, making these interceptions. You've got your center back on the right, making these interceptions. Really interesting. Although, although it's hard with Lambert playing in two positions this season, it's hard to say when and where he's doing that intercepting, but I would generally think you'd have more on the list of successful interceptions that were midfielders. You mentioned, you mentioned Calistri. I did. Did you? Uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. OK. Yeah. Farrell, Lambert and Killy Street. 
Um, I actually looked, I thought that was interesting too. And I looked around the league and I saw that the, the top interceptor in the league has 42, quite a bit more than ours with 30. But I looked to see what roles the uh, teams that had more interceptions than us yeah. had. And of, of the top six interceptors, four of them are center backs and just two of them are midfielders. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. And a lot of them names that you'd know, uh, Lee Desmond, Sac, Sacramento Republic, Mitchell Tainter, San Antonio, wow. um, Stephen Carroll, Detroit City FC, and so on. Maybe it's wishful thinking. Maybe I would just like to intercept that ball. Yeah, I think pitch. so. I think so. Before we go, part three, I, I thought that it would be a good idea to take a look to see who are the outstanding players in the league and if any of the outstanding players are from our team, are from Phoenix Rising. Current. So, <laughs> exactly. So I looked and, uh, and I thought that it was super interesting. And there are, um, there are different elements that go into making a great player, you know, attack and defense so when you put it all together like how many goals has this per person scored how many successful dribbles what's the pass accuracy what's the forward momentum versus playing back how well do they do on tackles on interceptions all these things put together super interesting inter interesting list and the, the top player is a player that we played against in our last game. He plays against Memphis 901. Did they have a standout player for you, Kelly? Well, they had a couple standout players, unfortunately. Yeah. But yeah. I feel like one who's lauded from that team is, what is his last name, Malloy? Yeah, Aaron Malloy. Okay. And he, okay. he he comes up tops as the best player in the league when you look at all these wow. stats. Congratulations. Other players, exactly. Other players... Um, Leonardo Fernandez with Tampa Bay Rowdies, Cam Lindley with Colorado Switchbacks, Justin Portillo with New Mexico United, Maxi Rodriguez with DC United. They're the top five. And DC I, United is that? Did I say DC? Detroit City. Oh, <laughs> Detroit City <laughs> FC. Detroit City FC. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So I only looked at players who had a minimum, a minimum of really. 10 appearances and uh, and that's the top five F fantastic news top six like this if you want to say this i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be upset if you say this that the sixth best player in our league out of 27 teams over 400 players who do you think it is it's one of our own one of our own which in this case means someone that plays for Phoenix Rising, not someone that is Irish. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I mean, just, I don't know what goes into this. You just sort of mentioned attack, defense, interceptions. I mean, someone that whose name has come up shots, goals time and time again yep. is Aiden Quinn. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Yeah. Kudos to you, Aiden Quinn. And, and this is on the season. This is not of all time. I just want to make sure we give him credit, right? Because yep. it's not like, oh, he's been in the league that long. Okay. Right, right. This is just this season. So wow. fantastic. He's doing amazing. Yep. When we look at attack and we look at, I think the, the number one thing to look at is the number of goals scored. And you've got familiar names on there for Oakland Roots. A new signing, Otar Magnus mm. Carlson is number one. Milano Olaski, 
um, Orange County, number two, mm-hmm. Haji Bari from Colorado Springs, switchbacks, number mm-hmm. three, and so on. Unfortunately, we're not in the top 20. We're not scoring enough goals to get in the top 20. However, when you look at defense, we are in the top in the top 20 there. Um, Aaron Malloy that I mentioned earlier, he comes up. He's in the, the top three here. Uh, Maxi Rodriguez that I mentioned as a great overall player. He's the number one player here. A lot of familiar names on this list. One of our own, Darnell King, makes the top 20 in this list. Then when you look at the, the other uh, player on the team, very distinctive, um, not an attacker, not a player out in the field on defense, but our our you know final defender back there between the sticks, Ben Lunt, he uh, has had the number one saves after week 18 with 57, putting him on top. And then Evan Newton, number two, with just one less 56 saves. So it's nice to look at overall, you know, who are the best players? And it's great to know that we're in there. Overall defenders, yep, we're in there. Goalkeepers, absolutely, we're way up top when when it comes to to best goalies. So it's often been said that we have the talent and this bears that out. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I looked at a different list of top podcasters and you're up there. (laughs) Okay, Okay, does that put you at number two? (laughs) I didn't make the list. (laughs) The last thing that I looked at was nationalities represented. There are 72 nationalities represented in the USL Championship. More than the number of nationalities that will be represented in the World Cup. I think that's hilarious. That's super cool. It is. And of course, I'm looking at Ireland, Republic of Ireland. There are seven USL players. Some of them have played for the national team. And Aaron Malloy, who I mentioned, is by and all these stats is the number yeah. one player in the league. He happens to be from Ireland too. Other names, Richie Ryan, Stephen Carl, Dan Casey, Lee Desmond, both with Sacramento Republic. And Niall Ogue is, is also on that list as Niall. well as Rob Curian. So, you know, the, the Irish guys that are coming over are doing really well. So are they deciding to come to the U.S.? Instead of going to La Liga or Syria or, you know, maybe not the English Premier League, but the Championship League and are deciding to come over here instead of their careers. If the answer is yes, then they're doing really well. Yeah. So that's all I've got. Kelly, any final thoughts on that? No, I mean, I think this has been extremely interesting. As I mentioned kind of early on, it leaves me wanting more. You know, it just feels like you could infer quite a bit about how you're playing, how a team is doing, where they need to improve from looking at these numbers. And I mean, that's obvious, but it gives me a real appreciation for people that, you know, like a like a John Morrissey, who is looking at statistics in and out. And it it really, for me, lands as to why it's so valuable. Sure. You know, it's it's not just post-game analysis, how did we do, but it's also where can we do better? And it makes it more solid. I mean, for me, what I wrote down, and I, I reiterated this as we talked about it, but that shots versus goals, crazy, big yeah. area to work on. Yeah. Same with saves versus clean sheets. Everything else, you know, was very interesting and kind of lined up with my expectations. 
um, the those two really stuck out. So that's big area of opportunity. And halfway through the season, nowhere to go but up. I shouldn't yeah. say that. <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> so we'll we'll hold on to these. We'll make a note of these, put them in the vault, and maybe we'll do, do this again next season. Maybe we'll even do them at the end of the season. So um, Kelly, thank you so much for sticking with me and playing with me today. Thanks so much. This was really fun. This is Greg Hurst, Phoenix Rising Striker, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family on Sunday, July 23rd, Phoenix Rising host Sacramento Republic. After week 19 of the campaign, both teams will have played 18 games. Sacramento are just inside the playoff threshold. They're in seventh place with 29 points. Phoenix are in 11th place with 22 points. Taking a look at the last six games, we've hosted three. One of those we've won, the other two were draws. When we played away, we won twice and we lost one time. Overall, that's three wins, two draws and one loss in the last six. And that's since 2020. If you go back as far as 2017, we've had 11 contests with them and we've won five times. They've only won twice. They've rebuilt the team for the 2022 season and they've got some really good players. Their captain is a returning player of theirs, a returning legend. He's a forward, he plays on the left wing. He goes by Roro, Rodrigo Lopez. He's a USL veteran. He's second on the team for goals scored. He's number one when it comes to assists, shots taken and chances created. Everything goes through Roro. He dictates the tempo. He's a very smart player who knows where he needs to be. He's a very accurate passer. He cannot go unmarked. Ideally, he'll be marked by one of our youngsters like Phoenix's newly signed Iracozzi Donaciano. Sacramento Republic is most notable for its defense. They're the definition of a stout defense. I watched their Open Cup game against LA Galaxy and I just can't say enough good things about their discipline, their focus and their stamina. You'll typically see them play in a 3-4-2-1 or a 3-4-3. At the back, you'll see Lee Desmond, Connor Donovan and Dan Casey. On the wing, you've got Jack Gurries. On the right side, he's just box to box, just doesn't stop running. He's a fantastic player, I hate to say it. Also watch out for Malik Foster, who, who he will team up with on that right side. Malik is also a goal scoring machine this season for their team. A lot of people, a lot of rising fans are writing us off for this game and I'm definitely not sharing that, especially because we got a good record against them, especially when we host them. Now another thing that goes in our favour is that they probably won't push so hard for a win on this occasion because their next match is a super big one. They're in the semi-final of the US Open Cup. That game's just a few days after this game in Phoenix and it's hugely important to them. So they'd be wise to hold a little, a little back in the game against Phoenix. Even if they were to go all out, the key to beating Sacramento Republic is to neutralize their captain, Roro, and to get the ball up to Greg Hurst. Provide him with support in the box and the game is ours. That's my feeling on this game. This podcast comes out every Tuesday. Subscribe and follow to make sure you don't miss an episode. I spoke to Sacramento Republic's Connor Sutton to learn a little more about Sacramento Republic and about what we can expect from the team. And it went a little something like this. 
Phoenix Rising family, we've got a very special guest from the front office of Sacramento Republic FC on the show today. Connor Sutton, welcome to the fan experience of Phoenix Rising Supporters Podcast. Thank you for having me, Niall. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Well, Connor, Phoenix is scheduled to host Sacramento Republic on July 23rd. And I thought it would be a good idea to learn a little about the club and give our listeners a preview of what we can expect when the teams meet. So first of all, just a few quick fire questions for you. Who's the best Western Conference team that you guys have played against so far this season? Oh, I th- <laughs> that's not where I thought you were going. I got nervous because I thought I was going to have to to uh, eat crow a little bit. Um, I would say, uh, ooh, it's that's a good question. That's a good question. Um, I think Colorado beat us up the best uh, for sure. They 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 bageled us. It was three nil. Uh, we beat San Antonio at home in a really really good match. Um, I, I will not to make excuses, but the team, when we played Colorado on the road, uh, we were coming off a tough stretch with our open cup run. Uh, we've been basically, you know, on fire. We didn't lose in June, uh, which is, which was great. Obviously I would say Colorado, I would say that's the team that we, we've only played them once obviously, but that's the team we've struggled with, uh, when we played them that one time down there in, uh, in uh, Colorado Springs. Yeah. And, um, they were doing really well. Um, but in their last five games, they've only won one and four losses. So it's That's interesting. Us. Thank you. That's that. Yeah. We're the loss, or we're the we're the win. I should say. <laughs> so, how about the Eastern Conference? How have you done against Eastern Conference teams that you've played? Uh, we we we've done all right. We haven't played a whole lot of Eastern Conference teams. We played Detroit in Detroit. Uh, we beat them. Uh, we beat New York Red Bulls two on the road. We played Birmingham on Saturday. It'll be the first time we've ever played them, um, which is exciting. And I'm trying to think. I think that might be it. But we've fared okay. decently against some of the Eastern Conference teams. I know we got um, Louisville coming up. We got Charleston coming up. So we're going to start venturing out to the East coast a little bit, but you know, it's, it's interesting. The, if you compare the difference between the East and the West coast, right. Western conference is so deep and the East Eastern conference is a little more top heavy. Um, so we'll see, I, I'm curious to see, you know, if you compare the conferences, which conference is better, it, it, there's definitely a good argument to be had there. Sure. Well, good luck against Birmingham. We hosted them a few weeks back and they put on a really good show. They beat us here in Phoenix. Um, so good luck. They they can they can do well on the road. So um, if not Sacramento Republic, who's going to win the USL Cup? <laughs> you might get me fired for this. Uh, uh, <laughs> um I'll say, um, I'll say Memphis. I know you guys just played them. They, it seems like they've been the most consistent team. Um, and, uh, you know, we haven't played them yet, so I haven't seen them a whole lot, but I did watch uh, a few, watch the three or four of their matches. And I think they, they might be the most consistent team. Um, and I, I just, it's more of a bias. I don't really want to say Colorado and I don't really want to say San Antonio. So I want to say Memphis. They're having a fantastic season and it's kind of like they came out of out of nowhere. They weren't a contender in the last two years and, and this year they're just on fire. So that's a that's a good answer, Connor. OK, so who's uh, Sacramento Republic's number one rival? I Well, I mean, I don't I would say probably Phoenix. I, I mean, Oakland, I should say, since they've come into the league, I should say this. It was Reno 1868 FC for right. a long time before they folded, unfortunately. Um, we had a good rivalry with them uh, because they were nearby. And then, you know, since then, I think, you know, since the uh, the Sante goal that knocked us out a couple of years ago, where, you know, if you if you were on Twitter that night, uh, there was a lot of screenshots, a lot of zooms in, zoomed in. We had some fun with them next time you guys came to town with uh, the handball goal. So I would say Phoenix, just because... 
the way the last, you know, the last, I would say three years, the way both teams have played against each other, it seems like very intense. I would say same with San Antonio, Oakland, since they joined the league, we've only, we've drawn almost every match with them and everyone has been really, really good. So if I say number one, I would still probably say Phoenix. Um, but you know, there's, there's a lot of good ones up there, San Antonio, um, Oakland. Um, but yeah, I would still probably lean Phoenix. I understand that. And when Sac Republic and Phoenix meet, regardless of where they meet, it's always a hotly contested yes, game. Totally. So let's let's talk a little bit about you. Uh, first of all, your position at the club is listed as director, game presentation and broadcast. So what is that? It's a little bit of two different things. I oversee our broadcast, um, our our talent. We have some fantastic broadcasters, um, Rob McAllister, Adam Moffitt. And then we do have a Spanish broadcast as well, Armando Boteo and Milton Moreno. All of them are fantastic. So they do our matches, um, obviously, on ESPN Plus locally here on Fox 40 um, and fox40.com. So, uh, you know, I, I work with them on, um, you know, some of the pieces work with our partnerships team on making sure that we come up and create new assets, um, for, for sponsorships, as you know, in soccer, there's not a whole lot of stoppages, right? So you got to get a little creative, um, on broadcast. And so that's kind of what we're starting to, to edge to. And then, you know, as we go into next year's regarding the broadcast piece is I, I want to push the envelope a little bit and try and figure out some cool ways to, really have a captive audience and maybe even a more captive audience, um, with some things. So on the broadcast side, that's, that's a, certainly a, a major, major factor. The game presentation side, I'm our in-game MC. So if you come to the stadium, uh, at, you know, Heart Health Park, I'll be there yelling and screaming and having fun. Um, alongside Jamie Coffey, our, our public address announcer, who's fantastic. She's done, um, us women's national team games, uh, multiple times, um, so she's, she's top of the line. Um, and, and so basically my job there, there's kind of, it's kind of twofold a little bit, right. Uh, it's, you know, making sure we have a great atmosphere. Obviously our fans are a huge portion of that creating some fun things, pregame halftime, um, and, you know, drawing attention to, you know, our fans that we have like a season ticket member of the match. We always highlight, um, we always do some contests when Phoenix came to town, I know your fans won't like this or your listeners won't like this, but after the handball incident we had at halftime, we had a handball contest, uh, where our fan had to score a goal, uh, with his fist rather than a foot or a head or a chest. <laughs> so things like that. If you remember when we, when we, uh, when Oakland had some pitch issues last year, next time they came to town, we had a, we had a build a pitch contest, uh, with some fans. So, so poking fun, all, all in good fun, you know, Sure. Um, but, but to try and have fun, make it a great atmosphere in the stadium. And then I do a little bit outside, obviously I host our, our club podcast, the breakaway, um, where I, you know, interview players, um, a lot of our broadcasters, um, people from around the league. Um, I'm sure Niall, you're now that I'm on yours, you're going to have to come on mine here soon, uh, to talk, to talk Phoenix, right. But, um, so a, it's a, you know, wide, but, um, but I just love it. Um, and especially where, you know, we're obviously having a good year with the open cup run. We're in a good spot, I think in standing. So that always makes it a blast. Great. Well, I love your podcast and happy to come on there anytime. I, I did hear you, um, interview your Spanish speaking announcers. Um, you had them on Yes, maybe several shows, but I definitely heard one and it was fantastic. You guys had a really good rapport. It was a lot of fun. So let's talk about um, when you're not involved with the club, when you're not watching soccer or playing or talking about football, what are you likely to be doing? Ooh, um, 
That's a, that's a good question. You threw off. Um, you know, I, I, it's just a lot of different, I love spending time with my family. Um, that's, that's a huge, huge, huge one for me. Um, I like to, I wakeboard a little bit. I don't do it well, but I do it. Um, there's a, there's a little bit there. And then, um, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, it's been a, this season has been a, a great one where we've had a, we, we've been busy, right. We've had some big home games, got to go down to the LA galaxy game and watch that win. So, um, th- this year it's just been, it's been a lot of soccer and watching soccer and watching other teams broadcasts and seeing what they're doing. Um, we have an MLS fantasy league in our, um, in our office. Um, so doing some research so I can, I can beat our general manager, Todd Donovan. That's a big <laughs> one for me. Uh, so that's, that's kind of the, what I'm up to. I'm, I'm up, I'm above him in the table right now, which is, which is a big deal for me. So that's good. <laughs> awesome. Congratulations on that. Long may it last. You mentioned the LA galaxy when you played them in the open cup and that was in LA and what an incredible match that was. That was fantastic. Were you there? I was there. I was there. Our, our owner, Kevin Nagel did it was, was incredible. Invited a lot of our staff down there. Um, and we had, you know, basically a whole section, a lot of us staff, um, obviously a lot of traveling supporters and it was kind of cool cause it was supporters and staff, you know, together. And we were, nice. you know, singing and chanting and yelling and having a great time together. So that was, uh, it was awesome. I mean, the game was incredible scoring in the fifth or sixth minute, whatever it was on a counterattack when we basically had three touches and we scored was unbelievable. Um, and then the, the to go up to one down there and they bring their big guys in off the bench, Chicharito and others. Um, and we were able to, you know, handle them. And, and, and for certain stretches of the match, it, you know, we felt like the better team, which is speaks a lot to how much better USL championship has gotten. I mean, I mean, you shouldn't even say that it could say USL league one, look at union Omaha, right. Their run. So it, it's, it's really exciting. I think open cups going to even get, crazier in the coming years because usl championship is improving drastically in the past three years so but that match specifically was incredible I, there's not a whole lot of matches where i just get to go and just be a fan um and that was one of them so that was a very uh it was it was a blast great memory i'll remember for the rest of my life yeah and la galaxy they put on a, a good show that night not just on the field but you know their supporters really showed up and were yeah. really behind the team and you guys obviously did great in attack. You had fantastic goals, but your defense that night was picture perfect. It was incredible. You guys were so strong. So kudos to you for that. You deserved that that win for sure. So um, let's talk a bit about your season. Right as of today, you've got eight wins, four losses, five draws, a forty-seven percent win rate, much better than Phoenix's, which is at a thirty-nine percent. What's the feeling about your record as of today and where you sit in the standings? We're feeling good. Uh, you know, we, we definitely put a lot of resources in the open cup early on and it's paid off in a great, great way, obviously in the semifinal coming up on the 27th uh, that we get to host sporting Kansas city. But in terms of the table um, I, I think coach Briggs, who by the way, just won uh, uh, coach of the month for June. Uh, we did not lose a game in June and that includes open cup, which is pretty awesome. But anyway, um, the it's it's uh we're in a good spot we have a teams a lot of teams above us have games in hand or we have a games in hand i should say so you know i think we're we're in a good place i think we really haven't played our best uh i think we still like our, we haven't hit our ceiling yet which is good um 
you know, these last two matches, we've had a couple injuries that have made us kind of have to play guys out of position that I think hurt us, especially defensively. So I feel like we're in a good spot. We've hung with San Antonio, which is the best team um, in the league. I think right now, I think they are. Yeah. In the West specifically. And I think in the league as well, um, obviously Colorado, that match is going to be, have, a, you know, it's going to affect us a little bit going forward. I'm sure we're going to circle it when we play them again later on in the season, but we feel like we're in a good spot um, and, you know, keeping guys healthy, making sure we use, you know, everybody, we, we, we have a really deep team and we've seen guys come up and be the heroes um, coming off the bench. And I think that'll continue because we do have, you know, a really deep squad, which bodes well for not only making a good open cup run like we have, but, you know, going deep and hopefully deeply deep into the playoffs as well. So I think we're in a good spot. The Western conference is so crazy. Anybody can beat anybody. Um, and so you have to show up. It's not like some teams in the East where, okay, we're playing the red bulls tonight. We can probably throw reserves and get a win anyway. Um, and there's a, you know, I, you could say, uh, what Loudon as well. So, um, mm -hmm. there's a couple, there's a couple teams in the East that you don't have to necessarily, but, but in the West, that's not the case. You got to play, you have to bring your best squad because like I said, you know, we've seen Monterey Bay upstate teams. We've, you know, El Paso started at the bottom and now they're, you know, they're at the top. Las Vegas had a huge, unbelievably hot start. So that's what I think makes this league so exciting, specifically in the Western conferences. You can't take a night off. Great answer, Connor. I'd love to get to know your club a little bit. So maybe just we'll jump into the history of the club. Sure. And for anyone who's listening who doesn't know about Phoenix Rising, I'll just in a nutshell, before Phoenix Rising was Phoenix Rising, we were Arizona United. And in 2017, a new ownership group came in, invested in the club, built a new stadium. It's a, it was a pop-up stadium, not a permanent structure, and rebranded as Phoenix Rising. And then from 2017 to 2021, the team did very well. A few missteps, but overall great set records, won trophies, built a strong fan base. Then in 2021, the club moved to a new stadium. It was still a temporary pop-up structure, but it's, it was larger. It is larger, a 10,000-seat venue. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, Phoenix Rising. So what's the Sacramento Republic story? Yeah, so we began, uh, our first season in USL was 2014. The, the club has kind of existed since 2012. Um, we started playing at Hughes Stadium. Um, which is uh, on the campus of Sacramento City College. So we had our first games there. We played a game um, at that time, Rayleigh Field, uh, which is where uh, AAA team Sacramento Rivercats play. It's now called Sutter Health Park. But then we got our own stadium, uh, you know, in, I think in 20, yeah, 2014. Uh, and we had an unbelievable run. Uh, Ro, Ro Lopez, who is on our team now, still going. He's probably our best player, was our best player in 2014. He left, you know, a couple of times. Um, but we won the, uh, the USL pro championship that year in our first season, which was incredible. The, I, I, I did not work for the club at the time, but the amount of momentum that came out of that season, there's so many people in this area that love soccer and that, that season proved it. Um, since then we've had some ups and downs, but you know, I, I think, um, we're in a really, really good position and this open cup run specifically, um, as well as how fun the team is to watch, I think is brought in a lot of new fans and, you know, we, we do run into a lot of the people who, you know, Hey, I've never been to a soccer game before. Well, you know, we want, we want those people to come out, right. Because coming to a soccer match is a different experience than I think most people expect. You know, if you've been to basketball, football, uh, or baseball, soccer is way different. And, and I think people enjoy it and appreciate it. Um, and we've had, and it helps when you have, you know, a good record, right. It helps sure. when you have late goals, like we did against Oakland, we scored in the death to tie it. 
um, on an unbelievable play. And, um, we, you know, we've had some, some late game heroics throughout the season that always helps. Um, but yeah, that's so, I mean, I, I might've jumped through a little bit there, but, um, you know, I think, uh, our club, since we've really existed, we've made the playoffs every year, except for last year. Um, but obviously, you know, we made some of those corrections in the off season and, um, our coach and our, and our general manager have put together an unbelievable team and, and they're rocking and rolling heading into uh, mid July. Awesome. So on your crest or no, your, 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 your nickname is the quails. What's yes. that about? It's a great question. There's probably a lot of teams around, around the, uh, the league who they hear that they don't really know. It started as an April fool's joke. Um, and kind of caught on, like we were going to, our mascot was going to be the quails. Um, and it kind of caught on with fans. We actually had our third kit. Um, was it last year, two years ago that we launched, uh, that was actually the third kit. It was the quail kit that had quail feathers on it, had a quail head in the back. So we leaned into that. It was a big Everybody was talking about that. Yeah, it was, uh, it was very cool. Uh, we tried to get some quails out to, uh, to a couple matches, but, uh, we weren't able to make that happen, but, uh, yeah, it was, it's a, it's a thing that continues, right. You'll hear us references the quails from, uh, you know, various broadcasters who have been around for a while. Um, I know Mike Watts does it. Um, quite a bit. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a fun, and I know that's a lot of some, you know, something that people maybe not know, but it's, uh, in Sacramento, it's, uh, you know, it's, it puts a smile on our face. Right on on your crest. There's some Latin U or B S herbs in Domita. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. I'll have to brush up yeah. on my Latin, but what's that? It, you know, and one of the things that has been our, um, it's been um, a core part of our club from the beginning is being indomitable. Like if you think about the city of Sacramento and in various aspects, the city has been indomitable and that has been kind of our core message. Um, indomitable city, indomitable club since the beginning, um, you know, basically never backing down, never being subdued. Um, and that's something that we really take to our heart um, whether it's, you know, from up top to our players, to our, our front office staff. And I think our fans too. Very cool. I know you, you have, um, you've got a new stadium. Well, it's not a new stadium, but you, you talked about, you played at a different stadium to the stadium that you play at right now. So what is the status on your stadium? I've heard that there's a potential move to a new stadium. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple, I I'm trying to remember the exact month, but a few months ago, um, you know, we announced that we have plans to move into a new stadium in the rail yards. Um, those, those things are happening. Um, as we speak, those conversations are happening as we speak, um, to try and make sure that we get a uh, area. I should say, should mention the rail yards is kind of an extension of our downtown Sacramento. Okay. It's kind of an empty acreage area. Um, that would just bring vibrance into the city of Sacramento. Um, and so that's something that, that, um, our executive team, our ownership team is working on. Um, and, uh, you know, they're having those conversations all the time. So it's still ongoing, um, where we play right now is heart health park. Um, and despite, you know, the fact that we've been in there a while, that place gets rocking, man. We, uh, with, with the metal bleachers, when we're stomping our feet, uh, it gets loud. And I think it's become a place where people and opposing teams either love to play, right. Because they love the atmosphere. They want to play in, in a great atmosphere or they hate it. It's one of the two. Um, obviously we love it. We're undefeated there at home this year. Um, so, you know, that always helps us too. Awesome. So it's a soccer specific stadium. Was it built for you guys? Yes. Yes, it was. Okay. It was That's so great. That's so great. I'm, I'm green with envy. So you mentioned that you made the playoffs every year except 2021. So that was just last year. So things didn't go well and things aren't going well for Phoenix right now. And there's talk about 
the reasons why and maybe our players aren't putting in the effort maybe we're we need to look at the coach maybe we need a new coach maybe we look at the front office in general so was that discussion taking place last year when you guys were going through tough times absolutely um i, I absolutely and one of the things that i love about our podcast is we kind of took that head on so in the off season um our, our GM made the decision that Mark Briggs, our head coach is coming back for, for another season. And so we, we had him on and we talked about that. We talked about some of the issues I had coach Briggs on. He heard a lot of the messages on social media about that. People didn't want him back and he took it personally and he wanted to, you know, obviously make a big difference that has happened this year. So like all the things, if I go, I went back and listened to it, not that long ago, a lot of the things that he talked about, um, going into the season that he wanted to accomplish, both of them, Todd and Mark, our GM and our head coach, have happened. And that's why our team has had so much success um, so far this season. And I, it's going to continue. They, they've gotten high quality characters. We got a deep squad. We have guys that want to play together, that enjoy being around each other. So yeah. all those things, I think, have become a huge factor. And um, and our owner, Kevin Nagel, doubled down and wanted to invest in this team and make this one of the best teams in the USL championship. And that's what we've seen this year. And, and obviously it's worked out for the Open Cup as well. Sure, sure. So I thought you had a strong squad in 2021 and I was kind of stunned when I saw all these players not coming back. Stalwarts in the USL, like Carlton Belmar, Rafael Diaz, Darius Formella, Shannon Gomez, your goalkeeper, Thomas Gomez, uh, Kibun Gucci, Keyswetter, Jordan McCrary, Mitchell Tainter, you know, they all ended up at other USL clubs. Mm -hmm. I was I was shocked. Uh, what were you feeling when you saw that these guys weren't returning? Yeah, you know, it was it was a bummer because, uh, you know, we developed a really good relationship with a lot of the players. Um, but, you know, at the same time, it, as you know, our, our GM kind of alluded to in the off season, like it was time for to turn a new page and obviously not making the playoffs is something that's not necessarily acceptable for this club. Um, and so we, we felt like it was time to, to find some new faces, find some new players. Um, and, and that's what we did. We have a, you know, almost an entire new squad with a few returners. We brought back all the players from last year who are our best players, um, Duke Lucroix, uh, Dan Casey, uh, Luis Felipe, who, and they've all been, you know, huge impact players this year. Um, Rafa Haregi is another guy. Um, so it, and Carlos Saldana, I should mention is in goal too, who we signed, you know, like three quarters of the way through the season last year. So, you know, there was a lot of turnover, but I mean, you can see the difference and you, if you got, if you look on the pitch, it's sad to see the guys go right. But when you see the action on the pitch this year and some of the talent we've brought in and the characters we brought in and our fans have bought, have bought into, I think of a guy like Jacker on who's our right back, right wing back who busts his tail up and down that right side, probably puts in as much miles as anybody um, in the league he's a fan favorite. They love him. And he's an, you know, he's a new guy. He's only been here a few months. And, you know, so you see, see things like that and you realize, okay, that's why those decisions were made. And, you know, it's obviously paid off uh, on the field and, you know, we're, we're still fighting for position in the Western conference standings, but I, you know, we're, we're hanging in there, right. We're, we're in a good spot. We, you know, we have games in hand over a couple of teams above us and uh, we still have a great opportunity um, to, to make it into the CONCACAF champions league, right. We two were two, two wins away, right. Um, which is incredible. Um, but we're, you know, we're focused on the upcoming games. We're focusing on sporting Kansas city and uh, you know, I'm excited. I know, man, it's, it's uh, the, 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 the uh, intensity is building going forward into that game. Obviously we have a match Saturday, 
to focus on and uh, in the Phoenix Rising match. But it's hard not to look ahead at, at a match that's so massive in our club's history. Sure, sure. So just sticking with players for a minute, I've, I found that there were three players that were on both of our squads, Tyler Blackwood, Josh Cohen, and Andrew Wheeler Amayuno. Um, so it's, it's nice, you know, when you see players from your team showing up on another squad, you know, you, you hate the squad on the day, but right. you know, you're like, Hey, that was my guy back at one point. So you've got Rolo back with you guys for his third time with the club mm-hmm. and he's just doing incredible things for you guys. Yeah. So what's it like to have him back and what's the atmosphere with him? I mean, it's incredible. Um, he's well known around the city. He's a legend here in Sacramento. Um, he's also incredible in the community on and off the field. Um, and I mean, you know, he's 34 years old and he made a massive run on Saturday against Oakland to chase down a ball, um, basically put the defender on his skates and then put in a cross that we were able to head in for the equalizer at the death. This guy doesn't quit. And he's been massive in every open cup match. He's been massive in, in every game he's played. And he is so important in our creativity and our, uh, in our attack and, and getting, um, you know, our strikers and our wingers in dangerous positions. Um, he's just a veteran. He's a savvy veteran. Um, and he's a great leader. He's our captain and he wears the captain band. So he, I, there's not enough, there's, there's nothing like I can say, I could say a million positive things about the guy. He is so important for the team this year. He's so important in club history. Um, and seeing him have success back here in Sacramento is, is incredible. And seeing where he's helped take this club is just unbelievable. Awesome, Connor. Okay. So looking at looking ahead to the match against Phoenix, what kind of, what, what's your style of play? What, what should we expect? We are, uh, we're up and down. We're, uh, it, it depends, you know, honestly, it's, it's been interesting. We've, we've played a little bit of a different style, um, in, in different matches, but you know, we're a team that, uh, that likes to get out on the wings. We have, we typically run a, a three in the back system. We might see that change with some injuries. Um, but I really, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know for sure. I don't, uh, I'm not, I have no actual idea on that, but, uh, we have had some injuries to our back line. Connor Donovan has missed the last two games. Duke Lacroix had to slide into that left center back spot. And then it's moved our other two center backs kind of a little bit out of position from where I mean, we went like eight matches, only allowing two goals. Um, and then that injury, obviously, kind of this was before the Colorado match uh, two matches ago. Um, we have our wingbacks are flying. We have um, uh, Jacker on the right, Lacroix on the left, and uh, Damia Viader, who have both played that those positions. Those guys are really good. Up top, Douglas Martinez, um, who had a stint uh, with Real Salt Lake. He's been massive for us. Um, and, and not even in the goal scoring aspect, too, but finding teammates, uh, making runs, um, and, and he, and sometimes he, he makes a lot of, um, he makes a lot of sacrificial runs, drawing a defender, someone else pops open. Um, so we've seen a lot of that. I, I think, um, we can play a lot of different ways. We can play possession. We can play, sit back and play counterattack. We can, um, we can play long ball if, if need be, um, we don't do a whole lot of it, but I, I there's a lot of different ways we can play. And I think that's why we're so dangerous is because, if we're good at everything, what you can't have a game, you can have a game plan for all three, but likely it's going to be tough to stop all three and we'll make halftime adjustments. Our coaching staff is awesome. And they, they've made massive um, substitutions. They've made massive adjustments at halftime. So that's kind of a overview of, of what to expect. And this is a different team than you've seen in years past, as you probably saw in the open cup match, when you guys came down to Sacramento, um, 
but it's, uh, we're, we're, you know, we feel confident, uh, with where our team's at. And like I said, with, if we can get a couple guys, you know, back healthy, we, we have a really deep squad that, you know, even if we don't, maybe don't have our best 11 in, we have such a deep team. It, it might not matter that night. And we've had heroes come off the bench and, and make a huge impact. Before I let you go, just want to ask about your intentions as far as MLS. So at one point there was a move. You got very close to moving to the MLS. Is that a conversation with your club? It's a great question. Uh, so it's above my pay grade, but, uh, but listen, when we talked about the history of our club, I should have mentioned this. Um, yeah, we had a full, we had a press conference with major league soccer. Um, we had a huge block party, 12,000 deep, and we were, we figured we were going to major league soccer, um, during COVID, obviously things changed a little bit of uh, our owner at that time, who was going to take over Ron Burke pulled out. Um, and, uh, it kind of left us in an interesting, interesting situation. Um, you know, we're, we're working on that new stadium, as I mentioned. Um, and you know, if it, if MLS does happen, great. If not, we're going to be tr- compete and be one of the best USL teams, um, in the, uh, in the country. So, and, and rock some, uh, some brains during open cup, apparently. So. Awesome. Well, best of luck with your open cup run for sure. I know only one rising fan that travels, travels to Sacramento when Phoenix are playing, he goes up there to see his sister and, you know, gets in a game while he's up there. So would you encourage more fans to make the trip? Like, is it a fun city? Obviously the game's going to be good, but is Sacramento a fun city to visit? And do you have any tips for any fans that might be planning a, a trip up there? Well, let me ask you this, Niall. How hot is it where you are right now? <laughs> yeah, it's looking at 113 today. <laughs> I would say that the great thing about Sacramento and what makes matches so great is it will get hot. It won't get that hot. Uh, it will, it will, but very rarely. It, it does get hot, but it cools down tremendously at night. So by the time it's match time, we play at 8 p.m. for that reason as well. It is beautiful and it cools down as it goes right on kind of the river, the uh the American river. I've almost forgot the name of the river. Um, and, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's beautiful, but in terms of the city, there's a ton of things to do. What's great about our stadium where it's at right now is there is a lot of areas around it. Um, there's tons of stuff happening all the time. Um, so I always encourage it. Um, and, and I do think we have one of the best atmospheres in the, in the USL, if not the best, uh, when it comes to our fans, you know, they are, they're loud. Um, they get that place rocking and, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the things that makes my job so great is be able to basically be a fan, but also work, but you know, you, you toe the line because you're both and, you know, we get to use that atmosphere to have a good time. I mean, Saturday night when that goal was scored, where we tied it up in a match where, you know, we felt like we should have beat Oakland that we felt like a win, right. Cause it, because the way it ended, the place went nuts and, um, it was awesome. So it, it you know, I, I think it's, it's a huge encouragement if people do want to come from Phoenix to Sacramento, get a little bit of relief from the, from the insane heat. Um, it is, it is uh, beautiful here, especially as the sun starts to go down. Awesome. Well, Connor, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. And we wish you every success for the remainder of the season, especially with your Open Cup run. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Niall. And uh, we got to do th- So I did a home game. You got to do a home game now. We got to return the favor here. Uh, so uh, I'll, uh, I'll be reaching out to have you on. It'll be, it'll be fun. So looking forward to it. We got a plan. All right. Thank you so much, Connor. Thank you. Hi, everyone. This is Brandon Keniston, goalkeeper with Phoenix Rising, and you're listening to The Fan Experience.
Next up is John Morrissey with his weekly segment on news and results from around the league that matter to Phoenix Rising fans. John, it's great to have you back. How did things go in the USL Championship this week? Hey Nigel, happy to be back. Maybe not the most eventful set of matches you're ever going to see, but certainly some interesting results uh, mixed in there, so let's dig right in. Back on Wednesday, Miami and Charleston met. Miami got the one to nothing win. Uh, nothing eventful there, as I sort of mentioned, but the nightcap on Wednesday, New Mexico against Tulsa was more entertaining. Two to one win for New Mexico, and they left their business pretty late. It was a rotated squad. They looked a lot stronger in the second half. Uh, adjusted nicely, kind of went with a midfield diamond shape that really greased the wheels for them offensively. And Justin Portillo uh, got a late penalty kick to seal the deal there. Friday had some real barnstormers, starting off with the New York Red Bulls 2, getting a one to nothing win over Indy 11. Now that might not pop off the page, but it's the sixth consecutive loss for Indy and the first time since April that New York has won a game. Uh, great result, certainly, for interim manager Ibrahim Sakagakia. But for Indy, boy, that is not what you want to be seeing. Really brutal time for them. Um, that evening, Colorado Springs beat LA Galaxy 2 by a score of 4-2. to two. Haji Berry got a race, and man, oh man, he is just looking fantastic. Uh, the side changed from their usual really attacking-minded 4-2-4 into a midfield three, and it did wonders for them against an LA side that can run rampant at times. Moving into the Saturday slate, things started off a little bit interestingly. Tampa beat Loudon 4-1, but it was scoreless until the 64th minute. The key change for Tampa was introducing Leo Fernandez for Sebastian Guenzotti. Guenzotti just can't get off the mark. He's only got one goal all year. He was rewarded with a start, maybe thinking, hey, it's Loudon. He'll get uh, going a little bit, but no dice for him. But hey, Tampa keeps rolling. Uh, Miami played another somewhat dull game against Orange County in a fun interconference matchup. Uh, that was 0-0. Um, Miami is now up six points for that last playoff spot in the East. And just given how bad Indy is, how Tulsa have kind of dug a hole for themselves, they might just trip their way into the spot no matter what happens. Charleston, though, recovered from the boring Wednesday game to get a 3-1 to one win against Hartford. I was really impressed with fullback Carlos Asensio this week. They just loaned him in from Austin in Major League Soccer as they moved into a back three shape. And he did really well as a wingback, and it prevented a fifth straight loss for them. So good all around. Uh, Louisville and Memphis was the headline game of the evening, probably. And it was a little bit of a mess. There were three red cards to go around as Louisville got the two to one win. Uh, they've now won five straight games, and they're up three points on Tampa for the Eastern lead with a game in hand. Really great side. And speaking of great sides, San Antonio dispatched with Atlanta easily in a five to nothing victory. Uh, nothing really to report there about what you would expect from an Atlanta team that can't defend and the best team in the league on the other side of the pitch. New Mexico had another game this week. They saw Pittsburgh come to town. More than 12,000 people in attendance. Mexico is so impressive in that regard. It was a one-to-one -one game, a bit of a slower-paced chess match. Dane Kelly came on late for Pittsburgh to get the tying goal. Uh, both of these teams not really losing at the moment. New Mexico unbeaten in five, Pittsburgh in four. Two solid playoff sides. I don't know if they'll go any further than that. 
um, another interconference draw, the two expansion teams this year, in fact, meeting with Monterey Bay and Detroit, drawing nil to nil. Uh, Hunter Gorski debuted for Monterey. He's a veteran in the lower leagues in U.S. soccer. Um, they moved to a back three to accommodate him. Detroit, meanwhile, really undermanned. They only used one sub in this game, and they've lost uh, center back Devin Onwubensa for the rest of the season after a surgery. He's someone who is pretty much a lock for the team of the year if he had stayed healthy. So that's going to be big for Detroit. Though they've recruited enough points that given the weakness of the East, they might be pretty safe in terms of playoffs. Um, the game that you might not have seen coming in terms of the excitement was Oakland and El Paso. And then half an hour in, Oakland was up three to nothing on their way to a 4-0 win. I have not seen a worse defensive performance since El Paso did something similar early in the year against Las Vegas. They just have these games where they don't know how to defend and their center backs are horribly out of shape. Otar um, Carlson, the striker for Oakland, scored his 15th goal of the season and extended his goal lead by three. Uh, elsewhere in El Paso, they I don't know if it got formally announced, but they've signed a Ukrainian fullback off of uh, Shakhtar Donetsk, the biggest club in that country. He is going to be a little bit slow to arrive with some work permit things, but man, oh man, they need the help that back. And then to cap off the night, Sacramento hosted Birmingham in a fun interconference game. Birmingham won one to nothing, actually. Uh, Sacramento had their normal back three finally back together, and they gave up a goal in the second minute. This was a great defensive game for the Legion. They're looking very, very strong in the East right now. But yeah, that was the week that was a little bit dry in terms of signings and all of that. But a couple big results, a couple fun interconference games, and happy to be here to recap it as always. Great stuff, John. Thank you so much for bringing us that news. I saw a lot of those games. What I thought was super interesting is that in both conferences of the top five teams, only the top two in each conference actually got wins. So in that means in the Eastern Conference, Louisville and Tampa were the only two teams of the top five to get a win. And then in the Western Conference, San Antonio and Colorado were the only two teams there to get wins out of the top five. Um, also, you mentioned two names that I had already mentioned as part of my special segment earlier when I looked at best players in the league. And you kind of confirm that, John, by talking about New Mexico's Portillo and Tampa Bay Rowdy's Fernandez. So interesting that you should bring those up. John, thank you so much. And I look forward to hearing from you again next week. What's up, football-loving maniacs? This is Devin Kerr, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family, on Wednesday, July 20th, Phoenix Rising is Kentucky-bound, heading to Louisville to play Louisville City FC in what was supposed to be the Battle of the Titans, but with Louisville City on 42 points and Phoenix on just 22 points, it's become a case of David versus Goliath, with Phoenix being the underdogs by a lot. I love it when we're the underdogs. This will be the first time that the teams meet in the championship game this season, but we did meet in Phoenix in a preseason friendly. That game ended 2 all. We had a goal from Darnell King and a goal from Joey Calistri. On the Louisville side, we saw a goal from Paolo Del Piccolo and Wilson Harris. 
Way back in episode 43 of this podcast, we did a preview of that game with Benton Newman. He's from Lou City's Vamos Morados podcast, so check it out. Episode 43, it was a lot of fun learning about Lou City. Before we dig deeper into this upcoming game, I need to give my sincere thanks to Connor Satin, to John Morrissey, and to Kelly McCarthy for joining me on the podcast today. We love hearing from you, so send your questions, thoughts, and ideas to thefanexperiencefc at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at FanExperienceFC, and the invitation's always there for you to come on the show and talk rising. Okay, let's get back to that game preview, the midweek game against Loose City on July 20th. For almost every other team in the league, Phoenix has been the team to beat, and those teams showed up accordingly. Not so for Louisville. Louisville fear nobody. They're perennial favorites to win the league. They started out in 2015. They almost always come first or second in their conference, and they always make it to the playoffs. They won the USL Cup twice, and they've been to the final or the semi-final every year except once. We lost to them in the final in 2018, and that was the only time we played them besides that preseason game that we talked about. Louisville City FC have two connections with Phoenix that I know about. Their coach, Danny Cruz, he went to Ironwood High School in Glendale. He won the state championship with them in 2016. Go Eagles! On the field for them is former Phoenix Rising favorite Amadou Dia. We won't be seeing Dia on the field this week as he's suspended following a red card he picked up in their game this weekend. That was against Memphis 901, who they beat 2-1. And I hate to remind you that in the game before that, we hosted Memphis and they beat us 3-1. Lou have a very strong team. They typically line up in a 4-2-3-1, but for their last game they put out a 3-5-2. That's only the second time that they lined up like this this season and they won both times. This team actually wins a lot. They've had 13 wins, 3 draws and 3 losses. They won their last 5 games and they're expecting to go all the way this season led by midfielders Paolo Del Piccolo and Niall McCabe, who share the captain's armband. Watch out for Cameron Lancaster. He's been with the league's top strikers for several years, and they've got other goal scorers to watch out for too. Wilson Harris, Brian Ownby, Yunok Mushagalusa, and Sean Tosh. Louisville did lose three times this season, and weirdly, two of those losses were to Western Conference teams, to Monterey Bay and to Los Dos. Hopefully, Phoenix can be the third Western Conference team to beat the champions of the East. It's Phoenix all the way for me. It would be a huge win for Phoenix. Let's let everyone around us know that we're behind the boys. Come on, join me for a Go Rising. I'll count us in. Three, two, one, Go Rising!